I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, everyone. In today's special episode, dating and relationship coach April Beyer is back as my much needed and much more qualified co-host. For those of you just discovering our podcast, April has been a matchmaker for more than 20 years and is the founder of Level Connections, a unique dating service bridging the gap between dating apps and personal matchmaking. Our first call today is with Rhea, whose boyfriend's constant assessments and comments about her physical appearance leave her feeling insecure. Next, we talk with Jess, who has been in an emotionally abusive relationship for 11 years and is working on the courage to finally leave. As always, thank you for listening to our podcast. If you have a question and would like to talk with us, please look for the link in our show notes. We would love to hear from you. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Unqualified with your host, Anna Ferris. April. Hi, Anna. How are you? Oh, I'm doing so good. Everything all right in your world? I'm refusing ever since I think COVID sort of hit the streets. I can't wear a bra anymore. (laughs) In or out of the house, right? Both. Yeah. Okay, both. So I just wear a lot of sweaters. (laughs) That's it. Blame COVID. Yeah. It feels too much like a harness. The remnants of quarantine are still with me. (laughs) I like how you lean on that. (laughs) April, shall we talk to Rhea? Hi. Hey, Rhea. Hello. Oh, my gosh. You are lovely. You're like a (laughs) sunshine. You are. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much for writing into us. Will you tell us what is going on? Yeah. So I am American, if that's not evident by my accent, but I moved to Portugal about a year ago and met a Portuguese guy. I've been dating him for about a year now. And in my relationship history, I've had like one four-year relationship, one seven-year relationship. So familiar with them, dated some people in between. And this relationship is really special. Like the connection I have with him is really amazing. It's obviously really hard to encapsulate a relationship in words, but we have a really strong connection. We communicate well. He's an excellent partner to me. I'm like so happy to be with him, except there's one thing that keeps happening that I'm not really sure what to do about or how to address. And essentially he just keeps making comments about my body. (laughs) It drives me insane and they're not malicious comments and they're not necessarily judgmental in tone, but he just makes them so frequently that it's really starting to sort of grate at my self-confidence and I've struggled with body dysmorphia in the past. I've worked really hard to get to a place where I feel good 
as good as possible, I suppose, about my body. And so it brings up a lot of insecurities to have these constant comments. And it actually just happened this morning. We were in the shower and I had my back to him. And all of a sudden he goes, why do you have all these little marks on your back? And I was like, what are you talking? And, you know, it's like it's hyperpigmentation. But I'm just like, why do you have to make comments about every little thing about me? We'll be laying in bed and he'll make a comment like, what are those things on your boobs? I'm like, they're stretch marks. And he's like, yeah, but why do you have them? And it's these things that I'm just like, why do you feel the need to comment on every aspect of my body? Right. And is that really even a question? I know. That's the thing. I'm not really sure. I'm trying not to read malicious intent into it, but I'm not really sure what the purpose purposes of bringing all of these things up and pointing them out constantly. It probably happens at least once every time we're together. And I'm not really sure how to address it because he's not being, I think if he's being malicious, it'd be easy to be like, fuck you, don't make comments about my body. (laughs) But because he's just pointing things out constantly, I'm not really sure how to bring up having that conversation with him without him feeling attacked or defensive or without... Not that I don't want to be vulnerable about my insecurities, but without coming off as overly insecure. Have you pointed it out to him in the past and how has it gone? I haven't said anything to him about it. I have had moments where he's said things that have kind of made me so irritated that I just go, why do you ask? I don't know. (laughs) Just little comments like that. He's just like, I don't know, just a question. And one of the ones I wrote about in my letter is that I'm a really active person. I work out all the time, but I have polycystic ovary syndrome, so... It's really hard for me to get rid of my body fat. I just have it naturally. And he'll be like, uh, so are you going to go to the gym today? I'm like, yeah, I, went. I mean, I went yesterday. So I do strength training every day. I'll go tomorrow. He's like, but you're not going to go today. No, you know, it's these kinds of things where it feels like a judgment, but he's not directly saying anything. My mind instantly goes to his mom for some reason. Me too. Somebody was critical of him. Absolutely. Because I think that that kind of very unhelpful, I mean, to even lump it into the idea of helpful is odd, but (laughs) I I just think that it can be a learned behavior. Mm -hmm. I don't know if his mom talks to his father like that. And if your boyfriend has like witnessed that and absorbed it, and maybe there is a bit of a cultural idea behind it too. When I studied in Italy, which I didn't study, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Studied? Yeah. Studied pasta. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Yep. (laughs) And some nightclubs. (laughs) But I do remember there was a more overt culture about about physical appearance Mm -hmm. in ways, too. But I don't think that that means that it makes it better or fine. Yeah. This would be hard for me. Oh, it's so hard for me because he actually is like really supportive and really nice to me and compliments my parents and tells me I'm beautiful. And, you know, I'm getting Botox later this week. And he was like, you don't need it. You know, like he says positive things about my parents as well. But the fact that he points out every single flaw I have when I'm really working to think about myself as more than a body, right? It's hard to be constantly brought back to my flaws. And sometimes he points out the same flaws multiple times, specifically when it comes to like my body fat. So You mentioned in your letter, he is kind of naturally thin, Mm -hmm. but he doesn't do anything to be thin. It's just his body style, that you actually work out more, that you have a healthy lifestyle and diet, and you're all about strength and health. Mm -hmm. And it shows. I mean, you have gorgeous skin. You're like, you're beautiful. Yeah, you're radiant. Thank you. Oh, it's (laughs) true. It's true. (laughs) 
But, you know, what's interesting is that, you know, out of all of your relationships, he's the one that you feel is the best relationship thus far. Mm -hmm. And you speak so highly about him. And was he doing this in the beginning? No, he wasn't. Is he feeling really fulfilled in his life right now with where he's at personally and professionally? That's a really good question. And the answer is kind of no. Um, <laughs> he did not intend to come back to Portugal. He actually studied in London. He did his master's there. But he had only been back because of the pandemic. He had come to visit his family and got stuck and then lost his apartment there and then lost his job there because he was stuck here so long. And eventually he had to come back and stay. And he does really interesting, amazing research work, but he's freelance for a lot of different people right now. And he wants to have sort of one focus. He wants to feel more respected. So no, he's not feeling fulfilled in his professional life. He doesn't really love where he lives right now and wants to move. So yeah, he's not feeling very fulfilled. Are you able to work there or what's happening for you there in Portugal? Yeah, I'm able to work remotely. COVID freed me up in the same way that it kind of locked him down because finally my employers were like, oh, we can do our jobs at home. And people started moving to other parts of the country. And I was like, why couldn't I just leave the country? Yeah. So that's what I did. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> wow. Did you know anybody there? I did. I knew a few people in Lisbon. I knew one person here in Porto before I moved. But I moved here and found it so much easier. And I'm actually from Seattle. So I know. I read that. But it was here I found a community really quickly and found Tiago, I think, within a month or so of moving here. And yeah. When he first met you, was he complimentary of your intellect, your physical body, just everything about you? Was he verbal and communicative about what he liked about you in the beginning? He was, yeah. He didn't make a ton of compliments about my body. I mean, occasionally he would. He talked a lot about like how smart I was or how interesting he thought I was or things like that. So yeah, he was definitely vocal. He's not comfortable with his emotions very much, I would say. So he had a hard time being vocal at the beginning, but he got to it pretty quickly. Yeah. How's your sex life? Oh, amazing. We just took a shower together. <laughs> well, isn't that... <laughs> it's really amazing. Like, A, he's very passionate sexually, and I've had very reserved sexual partners in the past, like ones who wouldn't even make out with me when we had sex. So not only is he, like, really passionate and warm during sex, which is a good change for me, but he makes me feel really safe and comfortable. And we also explore a lot of things together in ways that I haven't necessarily either felt safe to or felt welcome to in my previous sexual relationships. So, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, isn't this interesting situation? Because it's not like, you know, he has removed himself emotionally or physically from you. Mm -hmm. I'm really in alignment with Anna. It's what I was thinking first is that... One parent or both were critical. I have a client who was raised by good people, but they were very critical. And one thing that they were very critical about was body shape and weight. And he gets up every morning and he's in the gym like at five for a good hour and a half. And then he winds down the day with another hour and there's a gym in the house. Like it's constant. And he had met someone who is beautiful, but he was very critical of her body. And I remember thinking it was kind of odd. And when we dug into it, it came from his mother. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, something about my family, this was a thing where you weren't allowed to gain an ounce in my family. But it's also made him kind of a nervous, self-critical person as well. And he's loving and he's kind and he's passionate, but there's something there. So that's something for you to dig into. 
Oh my God. You're totally right on. I just have to say, because I know for a fact that he's self-critical. I see it quite a lot, but also I've never met his parents, but I hear a lot about them. Portuguese people are extremely close with their parents. So he's like at his parents' house twice a week, probably. And he calls his mom three or four times a week. It's insanity. But they are very critical. There's a constant like, why did you decide to go to this school in London? Why are you halfway across the globe in Hong Kong? Why are you doing this? What are you doing with that? What are you doing with your life? Why don't you settle for this job? I mean, there's this constant critique. And I'm sure that that doesn't end with his life choices. So I'm sure you're right there. Yeah. I don't know how relevant this is, but I wonder why you haven't met them. That's a whole other thing that is really hard for me. But I think it probably has something to do with the fact that he's only had one other serious relationship in his life. He's 33. He had one other serious relationship with a woman he was with in Portugal. And they moved to Hong Kong together. After they broke up, he then went to grad school in London, was too busy in grad school to have a relationship. Then I met him when he got back here. So he has not really had commitment before. And I think before he met me was not really necessarily sure he would ever be in a relationship again. So I think he's probably very hesitant to introduce me to his parents. They also don't speak English, which is probably another part of it. Does it bother you though? Does it hurt your feelings? Uh Totally. Are you kidding me? Yeah, of course it bothers me. But the funny thing is his mom knows someone's around because I gifted him this necklace. And he said when he was at lunch with her, she was like, oh, there must be a fiance around, which is really funny that she would jump straight to fiance. And then we were hanging out on New Year's and he called his mom and she was like, yeah, say hello to whoever got you that necklace. So she knows there's someone around, but I've never met them, which I still think is strange. If she knows you're dating someone, why can't I have like a face and a name? It's very strange. Are they in town? Mm-hmm. They live here. Oh, wow. Ooh. I know. Oh, maybe he's protecting you from them. Maybe. <laughs> Entirely possible. Entirely possible. Because even though Portuguese people are very close to his parents, I actually asked him once, I was like, do you like your parents? And he was like... That's a complicated question. And I was like, oh, okay. So you feel obligated to be there with them all the time, but frequently it will end in like him and his dad yelling at each other and him being angry for the afternoon or his mom having a meltdown and him being upset or trying to console her. So, Oh man, this is totally where this comes from. And, you know, I feel like this kind of behavior can be easily dismissed on his end of like, I'm just teasing you, mm. but I'm just teasing you. Like, it's not a big deal. Like, I love you. You're beautiful. But I'm- or I'm just curious, which I think is the kind of like when I've been like, okay, well, why did you ask that? I'm just curious. <laughs> but why? Right. You know? Yeah, but you're giving back to him what he's giving to you, which is he's in the curiosity stage, maybe even slight judgment of mm-hmm. what are those? What is that? Did you go to the gym? Are you going to run today? And then you're answering it with another question of why do you ask? He really doesn't know Uh, because this is an old eight track in his brain. He doesn't mm -hmm. know why he's asking. Mm -hmm. And so now you're just doubling up. Uh, (laughs) What we need to get to is a place of transparency of when you do that, when you say these things to me, it disconnects me from you and it hurts my feelings. Mm. Whether you intend to do it or not, you're making me very, very shy and self-critical. Mm-hmm. And we have such a beautiful relationship and such a beautiful physical relationship. And I get to do things with you in partnership that I've never done with anybody else. But in order for me to continue to be a woman who explores, I have to be confident Mm -hmm. and courageous. And these little things take me off that track 
of yeah. where I know you and I want to be. Yeah. You haven't done that yet. Yeah. You've only asked them the questions, but you haven't revealed what those things do to you. Yeah. I think this is really helpful context for me because in my head, I was like, okay, if he is being judgmental with my body, how do I address that? But I think you're right. And that it's probably happening very subconsciously. He's not giving it a lot of thought. And so the way to address it is to come to him with, this is how it makes me feel when you do these things, because he may, again, may not even really realize he's doing it. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So if he does say, you know, baby, I was just asking, I think you're beautiful, or I was just teasing you, or like, mm-hmm. lighten up, like, gently push back, I think. Like, say, baby, you may think that... But it bothers me. I'm suddenly like thinking about my stretch marks, which I haven't thought about for a long time. I have not. I know. (laughs) I know. I know. And the thing is, you guys, not to get too explicit, but we had just had sex that morning and I was facing away from him. And so I was like, was he thinking about that the whole time we were having sex? You know, I was like, was Uh, he looking at my back uh, thinking about like, why are these marks there? And I'm like, oh no, now I'm going to be thinking about that next time we have sex. And it's really hard to be present when you're thinking about that kind of stuff. Yeah. I love how human you are. I mean, of course we would go there. Of course. Yeah. I wish guys would understand that, you know, if you really want a woman to be sensual and sexual with you, you know, you got to fill the cup with us. You're not going to get anywhere if you make us self-conscious because that takes away that feeling of wanting to be bold. Yeah. I always think it's interesting how, and all of us do this, right? Where we'll say, well, I'm in a really good thing but this is happening. I'm in a trusting, loving, committed relationship, but I'm going to feel all of these things, Mm -hmm. but I don't know how to relay them or express them to my partner. And, you know, we put physical intimacy before we put transparency and honesty. And that has to be first. All day long, you know, my clients are calling and saying, this is what's coming up for me. How do I share it with this person? And I usually go, exactly what you just said, (laughs) like exactly what you just said. The reason why I asked you if he made these comments in the beginning and if he was complimentary or critical or both in the beginning, and you said not really, I think what's happening is he has settled into a relationship and it's now a love relationship, which means you are now family. And since he's a family-oriented kind of guy, for better or worse, with love comes critique in his training. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, it sounds totally weird, but in its own form, it's because he feels comfortable enough with you and trusts you enough that he gets to say these things. And maybe he does want those things to be better. Mm -hmm. But it's an actual example of him feeling comfortable with you. Mm. 
Because mm-hmm. when he wasn't yet comfortable with you, he didn't do those things. It's not like, you know, those stretch marks suddenly appeared <laughs> yes. six, eight months later. They've been here the whole time. They, they've been there the whole damn time. <laughs> yep. Right? So that's what we have to deal with, which is, and this is hard, because until you meet these people, you're not going to have a reference. We're telling you that's where we think it's coming from. But if he's always ending up in a fight or whatever, and yet he calls them three times a week and he sees them a lot, that means that he feels like he's got to see them. It's not like it's super pleasurable to be with them. It's just more of a duty. Mm -hmm. My guess is that he can't critique you in any other way because you've got your act together in every area of your life. Yeah, you know, it's funny that you say that because the only other issue I've had with him is actually along very similar lines. But it was comments he was making about like, my accoutrement, like how I present in the world. And I can give you an example, like we're at a cafe and he grabs my hands and is like, when are you going to paint your nails? And that was not the first time that that had come up. He had said something like, do you ever wear nail polish? Do you like nail polish? And I'm like, what is this? Or he'll be like, um, do you want to buy some like very high heels? We need to get you. And I would be like, oh, you're so tall. He's like, yeah, that would be better if you wore some very high heels. It would be this thing where he was constantly mentioning specifically nail polish and <laughs> And I did end up having a conversation with him about that where I was like, I mean, if you're into those things, that's cool. And especially if it's a sexual thing, we can talk about that. But that's not really how I move in the world. So You are my Seattle girl. <laughs> I know. I'm like. I'm with you. I'm like, I like. <laughs> I'm like, I walk a lot. So I need like comfortable shoes. And I don't yeah. like painting my nails. So like, that's just me. I'm sorry. And at first I thought it was a joke, but like now you keep making these comments. It's starting to be a thing that bothers me. It makes you feel like you want me to be something I'm not, you know? I'll bet you anything. His mother survives on her appearance and she is always dressed to the nines and she's quaffed and she's manicured mm-hmm. and she's perfect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll bet you anything that's what's yep. going on. All I would want to say is, well, then go get that. Yeah, I know. That's my attitude. That's how I feel. I'm like, that's what you want. Go get it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Bye. <laughs> and yet you're Bye. here. <laughs> so calm down. <laughs> I think everybody, you know, we all do this to our partners, right? You know, you start getting comfortable with somebody. Women do it, you know, where they want their guy to start dressing a little differently. I've certainly transformed my husband's attire over the years, but it's the way it's done. And I think it's cultural and the way he was raised. Mm-hmm. What's remarkable is that you're telling us it's hurtful to you, but I think it's bothering you and you want to uncover it more than it's hurting you. Because I get the sense that you're very confident. I would say the comments about like my nails and shoes. Sure, because I'm very confident in like who I am at this point. I think the comments about my body are a little bit harder just because of my past experience with body dysmorphia. And I mean, it was so bad at a point where when I was a teenager, this is like one of the most embarrassing things in the world to admit, but I truly kid you not. I had taped my stomach up, taped it (laughs) like a corset so that I felt comfortable in clothes. And I wore a balaclava every day at home for like months. And my family was just kind of like, what's going on? But they kind of played along with it because I just felt terrible about my skin and my body. I mean, it was horrible, horrible, really bad place. I'm in such a better place now, but I can feel the more he makes these little comments, the more I start paying attention to my body. And it's taken a lot of work for me to not focus so much on it. And so he's bringing me back to that hyper-focus on my body. 
Wow. Then you really do need to speak up because had you not had that early on previous to meeting him when you were younger, (laughs) you would have slapped it down faster. Yeah, probably. The problem is when somebody says something to us, the only way it can hurt us is if we believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing with you. So before you go and talk to him, you've got to remind yourself of like loving that body and Mm -hmm. loving your skin and just really, you know, embracing those stretch marks and be like, yep, I got these great looking boobs because, you know, they got bigger and they went a little fast. Like, like really just Mm -hmm. like embracing it because this does need to stop. Mm -hmm. I don't think he's wondering because he's been with you for a year. I think he wants you to do things differently. Mm -hmm. And that's what we have to unpack. He's not trying to hurt you. I just think he's trying to mold you a little bit. Yeah. And that's what we have to figure out. That's why it's so hard for me to figure out how to address this specific instance of it, because I've already brought up those feelings when we talked about the nails and heels thing. And he was really receptive and he heard me and he was like, I had no idea that those comments were hurting you. Like, I'll be more conscious about it. Oh, good. This is good news. He was good and very attentive about it. And I was firm with him that like, when you make those comments, it makes me feel like you're trying to change me and who I am. And I'm just not going to be that person. And he's like, no, no, no. I love you how you are, blah, blah, blah. But then he does this other thing, which is along very similar lines where he's making these comments that make it seem like he wants me to change in some way. There's two questions that I have. One, is he critical of other people? Like when you're out at a cafe Hmm. or like catty a little bit in that way? No? Not that I've seen, but I know that his like best friend from third grade or something like that, who he's still best friends with, he was talking about a woman he was attracted to. And he was like, she's amazing, except she wears these orthopedic camper shoes, blah, blah, blah. And and the comment around the table was like, well, that can be changed. Literally, they were like, well, we can change that. We can fix that about her. So every, if everything else is great kind of thing. She's just going to have awesome looking feet when she's 83. <laughs> I know, exactly. <laughs> but I wonder if you can just start to clock if after he talks to his parents or his mom specifically, if it tends to amp it up a little bit, see if there's anything there. But to me, it feels like he probably gets a lot of that when he talks to his mom. It's made him a little neurotic, right? Yeah. So he's used to that kind of communication. Mm -hmm. I think the conversation of, baby, I don't really know what the question behind the question is, but it doesn't make me feel super great. Yeah. And it sounds like he would hear you on that. I think he would totally hear me on it. Yeah. How vulnerable do you think I should be about, like, I haven't talked to him about my body dysmorphia, so he doesn't know about it. Um, How vulnerable do you think I should be about that and the role I feel like it plays in it? The reason I hesitate to go straight there is that I don't want him to think that, oh, she's just sensitive because this thing that happened in the past. Because I do think that even if I didn't have that history, the amount of times that he makes comments about my body would still bother me. Yeah, yeah. It would bother anybody. It would bother any of us. Yeah, yeah. I think you do need to share because when we tell somebody our backstory, it gives them a point of reference. And then it's also really good for you as a woman in a relationship to determine the quality and the caliber of your relationship by how someone transforms once they know your backstory. Mm -hmm. When you can tell somebody, like, let's say you come from a family where people were yelling all the time and you have a partner that just yells loud You know, when you can say, I grew up with that and that triggers me and I can't think straight. I go into fight or flight when you do that. Can you just lower your voice Mm -hmm. (laughs) a little bit? 
Um, if that person doesn't start course correcting after that, to me, that is the answer. Yeah. So I do think you need to tell him and you need to be vulnerable enough to say, I used to tape up my stomach. Yeah. And by the way, even if I didn't have that, any woman <laughs> would feel this way. Yeah. And by the way, Raya, this has passive aggressive written all yeah. over it. Oh, God, I know. This is where it goes back to his mom, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's so passive aggressive. It's like, would you ever want to, you know do that with your nails? Would you ever want to wear heels? Or you mean, are you not going to run? He hasn't come out and said, I don't like your body. I need it tighter. I want this. I want that. I want more muscular. I want leaner hips. Like he hasn't said that, but he does this dance around the subject and he pokes at you and it seems innocuous because it's passive aggressive. Exactly. But again, that's training. So it's like, come out and just say what it is that exactly. you want. <laughs> Stop that's dancing a, around this thing and yeah. acting like a little boy. Tell me exactly what it is that you don't like. Because if you don't like what you see, this is me. Mm -hmm. I'm actually healthier than you are. You're naturally thin, but I've not seen you work out the way I work out. I feel good about what I'm doing and my lifestyle. You got to embrace this and accept this and you have to start speaking to me more directly because I think it's the indirect that's the hardest part because it's almost like he gets a free pass. Well, yeah, he puts everything in the form of a question. A question. Right, that's passive aggressive. <laughs> he just gets to go around and poke and hope that I subconsciously start trying to change my body or something. Yeah, you also feel very empowered to him right now because sort of what happened with COVID and him losing his job and then having to come back and he wasn't planning on it and he doesn't feel empowered when he's with his family and that's like a, a sacrifice he has to make mm -hmm. and you seem really content and really alive and powerful and happy and settled and it's also his way of just kind of competing with you a little bit. Mm, that's interesting, April, yeah. Because he can't find mm -hmm. a lot to take you down about. And so it's just his way of being a little bit more on your level. Yeah. I really think you got to meet these people and you have to demand. After a year of dating somebody and their family is in town, mm -hmm. at three, six months, you haven't met the family. Something is wrong. So you need to tell him that it's time, mm -hmm. that you need to meet them. They're an important part of his life and that you want to set up a lunch. But I think you need to go neutral. Like you need to go to lunch instead of going to their house. Just say, let's take your parents to lunch. Yeah. And I want to meet them. I want to see like who you come from. And even if you feel like it's not right. And by the way, it's not normal that a 33-year-old guy who really only had one significant relationship would say, that's it, I'm out, never going to do this again. It's one thing when somebody who's 50 or 60, who's had a string of bad luck or a yeah. really tumultuous, terrible marriage and breakup that said, I'm never going to do it again. But for a young man of 33, after one relationship to say, I don't think I'm ever going to have another relationship again. I think he's avoidant. I think he's got like emotional avoidance. Well, again, it's his parents are such perfectionists mm. that he's afraid to mess it up again. He doesn't want to do anything unless it's perfect. He doesn't want to date anyone unless she's perfect. And that helps him to stay safe and in control. Mm -hmm. So his need for safety, security, and being in control, that's part of the perfectionism. That's exactly what's going on right now. I want to inquire a little bit about what his parents thought about. Like, I don't know if his parents, I assume they knew about his last girlfriend because he moved to Hong Kong with her. I'm curious, like, 
what they thought, if they had expectations about it. Because now I'm returning to the idea that his mom was like, oh, there must be a fiance around. I wonder if she has these expectations of him like finding someone and getting married. And she may have had that expectation about that last relationship. I don't know sort of what their feelings were when the two of them broke up. I'm very curious. So you got to get into exploratory conversations here. You know, what was she like when you first met her? What was that? What was the thread that unraveled that relationship? Were your parents involved in that relationship? I know all of that stuff, but I don't know where the parents came in. Like, I know his relationship with her and where things went wrong and all of that stuff, but I don't know at all whether his parents knew about her, how close she was with them, how he felt about it, how they felt about it. I have no idea. This will be informative. Yeah. And also, I think because they're probably old school, like you want to know, when did his mom meet his father? How young was she when she got married? Did she have a career first? Like, if it's old school, then it's all about when you date somebody, maybe culturally, that's the one, Mm. right? And so there's this pressure that they put on their kids of, you know, you don't just date and meet multiple people and figure your way through it. It's you got to commit and be in that relationship. And that might be why he hasn't introduced you guys because he doesn't want them picking you apart. There is pressure there. Anytime somebody says, I don't think I'm going to be in a relationship again, tells me that they don't really trust their own decision making. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean that they don't want love again. They just don't want a failure and they don't trust themselves. Mm -hmm. That's why they say that. Mm -hmm. Does he have siblings? No, I was about to say. (laughs) April inspired me to say. He is the only child, and his parents had him, for their age, they had him quite old. I mean, his mom was in her mid-30s, and they grew up in a small town in Portugal and got married quite young. So she had him older, and it was her only child, and all of her focus is on him. So I think you're right about that. Like, he's in a pressure cooker. (laughs) And that's why the fiancé thing landed hard, and he wanted to tell you a little bit about it? Yeah, he totally had the opportunity to tell them. We actually both got COVID two weeks ago and he was isolating with me. And of course, his mom being like so attentive on him was like, can I bring you groceries? What can I bring you? And he was on the phone with her and he had to tell her he wasn't at his apartment because he was isolating with me at mine. But he didn't tell her that it was me, that it was a person he was dating. He was just like, I'm at a friend's place. And he did that on purpose because we had a conversation about it before she even called. And he was like, my mom's going to offer to bring stuff and I'm going to have to tell her I'm here. And I just don't want to tell her I'm here because then she's going to ask, oh, you got a girlfriend, blah, blah, blah. So I do think you're right. I think there's this some pressure from the family that he's trying to avoid by not telling them about me. Heck yes, there is. This is a very like, oh, my God, cultural only son. Maybe the mom's not super happy with dad, so she pours all of her love, attention, and critique on the son. Mm -hmm. And that's why I said earlier, I think he's protecting you more than anything. It's not like he doesn't think you're serious. Mm -hmm. He just doesn't see a lot of value. Maybe he doesn't want to lose you because once you meet them... I think you're right because it's definitely not a like, (laughs) when I've told friends about this, they're like, that's weird. You should get out of there. But it's not like he's not committed to me thing because he's met my sister on FaceTime and we've talked to her and he's like, do you think she likes me, you know, or with my best friend? He's like, I want to be friends with him too. I hope he likes me. So he cares that the people in my life who I love like him and I know all of his best friends and they all love me and he makes it a point to tell me that so-and-so said a great thing about you, but it's the parents specifically that haven't had access to. This is a muscle when we're raised a certain way. So he was raised in this passive, aggressive, critical environment. Mm -hmm. All eyes were on him. And that's why he's hiding you. He wants you to himself. 
But you got to nip this stuff like in the moment, not a week later. It's like a puppy. You can't tell them they peed on the floor an hour <laughs> later. You got to get it while they're peeing. <laughs> Right? Yeah. Like, you've got to retrain his brain and you've got to teach him. Mm-hmm. He doesn't sound as relationship experienced as you. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, I'm going to teach you how to treat me. I'm going to teach you how to love me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to teach you how to keep me inspired. And since he's a clearly a sensual, sexual, passionate human being, if you can connect the dots back to that, mm-hmm. it will shift his behavior fast. That's smart, April. Yeah. Right? And it's true. I mean, when these comments start to erode at my self-esteem, the last thing I want to do is strip off all my clothes and be naked with you, you know? Of course, like, who does? Yeah. I think getting back to the questions that they ask him, why did you go and do this? Why did you go to London? Why didn't you do that? Mm-hmm. That's not curiosity. Yeah. So let's not give it that label because that's not what's going on with them. And that's certainly not what's going on. He doesn't really, that's veiled as curiosity. It is not You're right. Yeah. So we got to attack the passive aggressive and his inability to really communicate. Mm -hmm. You said in the beginning, he wasn't really good at articulating his emotions. He got better because he feels safer with Mm -hmm. you. But he's got to shine here because he's not articulating what he really wants to say. Mm -hmm. And it's coming out that passive aggressive channel. And that's the annoying part. And then you quickly have to remind him, P.S. and by the way, Even though I've told you this story about my childhood and my body dysmorphia, if I gathered up a hundred women in the room, we would all say the same thing. Women are very body conscious. It's very important that we feel desired and beautiful Mm -hmm. and feel comfortable in our bodies. And you as my partner can help me to feel really good in my body. If he uses that as a, you're just being sensitive, you don't want to get into the cat fight about that because that's when we get defensive. Because again, we don't own the story. When you have the confidence, nobody can push you down. If somebody says, well, you're crazy because you're just this. I'm like, nope, that's not what's going on. And I'm not going to get into a fight with you about it because that's not true. (laughs) It's not true. Rhea, I'm super impressed with you though. I think you are really wise I think you're really special, and I think you've handled, like, the parental stuff really well. I could imagine, you know, other people sort of lobbing things back into his court when he makes you feel insecure or whatever, and it sounds like you don't communicate like that, which is just an awesome quality. It's been hard at times, but in my last relationship, I spent a lot of time in therapy. So I've learned a lot about like how to communicate effectively. And I just know that biting back at him is not going to do anything to help. But I also know that I can't continue to just swallow it. If I notice that it consistently bothers me, I have to do something about it. But I just wasn't sure what to do. And I think you guys are totally right. I think he probably grew up in an environment of critique. Actually, I know he did. And so I think it's a habit for him. He's sort of using this as a way to express things that he should express more directly. You know, the good news is that you claim, you know, that there's so much beauty in this relationship and so it's worth fighting for. Yeah. But you also have to be willing to allow this relationship to transform. Mm -hmm. And if things don't start to get better and your confidence erodes, Sometimes the stronger thing is is to make a change, but you don't need to do that right now. Yeah. The relationship sounds good. There's just these little tiny mm-hmm. moments. 
and you got to break this yesterday. Yeah. Like enough is enough. That's how I feel because this particular thing, if it continued to be a total deal breaker for me, because I'm not going to allow this to take me back to a place that I've worked so hard to get away from. Yeah. When my relationship with myself is more important than any relationship, no matter how good with a romantic partner. I'm so glad that you called and wrote in because I think it's really wonderful to hear for our listeners, yeah. you know, like who you are and how like you're dealing with this. It's really impressive. I'm happy that you love Portugal. Oh, yeah. I'm happy that you're in love. Yeah. Rhea, this has just been a joy to talk to you. Well, thank you guys so much. You really helped me kind of unpack and connect some things I hadn't connected before and figure out sort of how to approach having this conversation because I knew I needed to have it. I just wasn't sure how. Yeah, you're welcome. You got this. Oh, thank you. And I really appreciate your guys' help so much. Take care, Raya. Bye, Rhea. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. April, you just gave beautiful advice. Thanks, Anna. I feel incredibly hopeful for her. I do, too. I think what's most interesting about Raya's relationship is that it's going to continue to evolve, and it's either going to dramatically improve and deepen, or she's going to gain even more confidence as she goes. You know, she's in another country. Her family isn't close by. She also has a total adventurous spirit. She's the one that went, mm -hmm. okay, great. I can work remote. I'll just go to another country. So I know that she is somebody that is such a manifester and a woman that has a lot of giddy up and go and courage. So I'm not concerned. But I think it's what we all need to understand is when you are honest and transparent in your relationship, it will shift. It will change. And I think embracing the transformation and that pivot is what's going to be key to not only survival in a relationship, but the success of a relationship and not worrying so much about how someone's going to feel about what we say. I think that's really wise. Easier said than done, right? Yeah, because I think you can't help but think, oh, am I being overly sensitive or whatever? But, you know, there's nothing illegitimate about an emotion, no, because it's real. It's really happening. It doesn't mean that everybody has to agree with it. But if it's happening for you, then it is real. Who cares if someone says you're being too sensitive? Like, I think sensitivity is a beautiful thing. It means you're feeling. It means you're awake. It means you're aware. So bring it. I love that. Should we talk with Jess? Yeah, let's talk to Jess. All right. Hi, Jess. 
Hi. How are you? I'm all right. Hi, Jess. It's nice to meet you. It's really nice to meet you. And thank you so much for writing to us. Thank you. I know that you're going through a hell of a time. Will you tell us about it? Yeah, absolutely. I guess it all started when my current husband and I started dating 13 years ago. We've been married now 11 years. And at first, I guess there was a lot of signs that were kind of easy to overlook a lot of you know, love bombing and what does love bombing mean just like these grand gestures he was wanting to give me a key to the place where he was living like on our second date and he said I love you very early on and because of where I was I didn't really look at that as necessarily a bad thing I was like wow finally somebody cares yeah I wouldn't either I would be totally into that right those behaviors started becoming a lot more controlling, like even down to things that I would wear, like he would want to take me shopping and he'd want me to go to like these certain stores and dress more like a certain way. And do you mind my asking just like what kind of way, like more conservative or sexier or I guess a little bit more conservative or more grown up because there's a big age difference between us. There's an 11 year age gap. So when we got together, I was in my early 20s and he was in his early 30s. And so I was still, you know, a little bit more of a partier and going, you know, downtown and clubbing and that kind of lifestyle. So I was like, okay, well, this is fine. Like I was a single mother at the time and it was time for me to grow up. So again, it was easy to kind of overlook that and be like, okay, well, it's time to put my big girl pants on. But then it started progressing even more to him always putting down my friends, like just finding little comments to say about them, not to their face, but behind their back and really started isolating me from these people in my life. It's one of those things where they say when things were good, they were great. And when things were bad, they were horrible. It was very much like that until I got pregnant with our first child. And it was a very high-risk pregnancy. So I think that kind of bonded us in that moment. Things started to calm down and I was being treated more like an equal. But at that point, I was already isolated from all of my friends. And then I was on bed rest. So he was my only oh, support. What a journey. Yeah. So then when we got pregnant again, so close to our last one and having to go through all that high risk stuff again, <sighs> there was a lot of extra tension and we were tired, obviously, but things never got better. And we did marriage counseling and even that therapist just couldn't get through to my husband about you know how his behavior is affecting me when I come from a lifetime of trauma. Like when I say PTSD or CPTSD, it's not just like one event, it's multiple events over my entire lifetime. So like 37 years of just stuff. So when I started to try to establish those boundaries that I knew that I needed to live my best life and to continue on with my healing and you know my recovery from that trauma, instead of being met with you know, love and understanding as you would want your significant other to do, I was met with anger and having it used against me and being told that, you know, therapist is just quackery, so he doesn't need to respect it. Gosh, it sounds like he needed control. Yeah, absolutely. 
So you guys are now getting a divorce? That's the goal. Right before the pandemic hit, literally February of 2020, I finally got the nerve to ask for a divorce. This was after two years of struggling with an unknown chronic illness where I lost all 90 pounds that I had gained during my bed rest. And I couldn't figure out why I was losing this weight. It's not like I was actively trying at that point, at least not to that degree. And I did just get diagnosed with adrenal insufficiency. And it's basically because my body is living in fight or flight every single day. <sighs> Like adding that on top of everything. So even after talking to my doctor and my therapist and then both being like, yeah, stress is basically killing you, honey. Like you got to figure this out. Then the pandemic happens. <laughs> and how did that go for you guys? You know, at first we're like, well, we share kids, so we're going to have to figure out how to live together. And it was, you know, tense, but it was working out. But because now it's been, you know, a year and a half, we started to fall right back into those same patterns, that same roller coaster until it escalated so bad where the kids were involved and them hearing him say horrible things. And now we're at that point where because I don't have family here and the few friends that I have have their own stuff going on, it's so easy to feel alone and overwhelmed and a little hopeless. How are the conversations, like, are you vocal about the drive for divorce or have you guys sort of suppressed that discussion? Yeah, after a horrible argument a couple of weeks ago, you know, we were both talking divorce. Like he was finally like, you know, you're crazy. We're getting a divorce. And I was like, okay, <laughs> let's do this. Jess, do you mind my asking what the argument was about? You know, I don't even remember off the top of my head. He had said something to our eight-year-old that I didn't like. Is that your kid or your... Both of ours. My oldest no longer lives here because she couldn't deal with his anger. It's interesting that you can't remember exactly what the specifics of the argument were because I've definitely been in those kinds of relationships where it's like... Aren't you exhausted? And what are we fighting about? Yeah, exactly. So you have an eight-year-old. And the other one is six. And then my oldest is 18. When you wrote to us, you said emotional and financial abuse. Can you share with us more of the financial? Yeah. From the very beginning of our relationship, he wanted me to be a stay-at-home mom. It was mostly framed on the sense of him wanting me to be able to spend time with my oldest because I was, you know, fighting for custody of her. And then whenever we had children, then it was just, you know, financially easier for me to stay home. But he's always had the bank account and like he has a, a bill account. And, you know, I understand separating finances like that works for a lot of people. But in our case, because he has the bill account that I have no access to, he also has our joint account, which is like the household account. And there's times when it'll be a week after payday and I still don't have money in the household account. So I'm like sitting there having to beg for money and then also feeling bad that maybe I drained the account too quickly because I went to Sephora and bought a pallet or whatever, like... There's a lot of that kind of stuff as well, where all of a sudden, like, I'll get lectured because, you know, I went and I bought some new clothes and 
it's just like I'm dealing with my father, not my husband. What is going on in his life that's making him so unhappy? I wonder. I mean, not that we need to really explore that, Jess, but how does he feel about your driving forward to separation? At first, he seemed like he was completely on board. And I think it's because the argument escalated where like, I felt the need to ask him to leave the house. And that's one thing that he's never respected before. You know, like if things are getting out of hand, I would rather not fight in front of the kids. And so like, I will ask him, like, can you please leave, go get some coffee and just calm down and then we'll deal with this. But he never has. So finally with that one, I put my foot down and was like, I feel the need to get a third party involved, namely the police, if you don't leave, because this is escalating to a point where I feel unsafe. Does he believe that you can't survive without him? Absolutely. He tries to remind me of that often. I am so sorry. I've had a relationship that it doesn't feel perfectly similar But I know that feeling when someone says, you know, essentially, what are you going to do without me? Yeah, he's exactly said that. He's like, well, have fun, you know, supporting yourself and the girls when I'm not here and you're so sick and pointed out the fact that I spent, you know, six months physically getting sick. That's part of the weight loss because of this adrenal stuff going on. And this entire time, he's not seeing that I've been doing this all alone. Like, he's not coming to my doctor's appointments. Like, he didn't come to court when I was fighting for my oldest. I don't know. I guess I'm realizing I spent the last decade just, I don't know, by myself, but not. (laughs) What kind of provider is he from a financial? Does he have a good job or does he feel like that's his worth? You know, that, hey, I work. I don't need to be involved with anything at the house Mm -hmm. because I work. 100%. That's very much his mindset, you know, because I'm the stay-at-home mom. I'm in charge of absolutely everything that doesn't involve his work. And the few times I did try going back to work and I'm like, you know, I feel like I want a career. I want to have my own money and be this this independent woman that I know is in here somewhere. And it was never respected. And he would find ways to make it so when I would go into work, I was crying because he was either making fun of me or just making me feel worthless. April, how do we help Yeah, Jess, this is so good for women to hear your story. Yes. Because the love bombing and what we overlook when we first meet someone, if we're in lack, you know, so just you sharing this is such a teaching moment for everybody listening. Because I always say when you have your life together and your confidence, it's almost impossible to be love bombed. But that was like a life raft for you. And I'm so glad you can see that. The isolation from your friends, you're feeling very much alone. My first thought is, you know, where is family? Any family members that you have that are a positive influence in your life? I really don't have family. Both my parents have their own afflictions, I guess. I pretty much raised myself. And all my extended family is in other states. And they don't, they're just, they're not a help. The extended family members, when you say they're not of help, is it because you've just never developed a relationship with them? Or are they people that you really wouldn't want a relationship with? It's more I wouldn't want a relationship with them. Okay. The few that I did reach out to, including my father, (laughs) were like, I'm sorry that he's being abusive, but you're stuck. Mm. Yeah, that must feel so all alone. And then you find somebody that makes you feel even more alone. You need help for sure. You need community because the break, as you know, needs to happen. And you're stronger than you know, 
and he's not right, you will be okay. When women leave their husbands, when they're in this kind of, you know, trauma, your health is at risk, your well-being is at risk, your emotions, that is the most costly thing you can do. You could always go get a small place or get a roommate or something. Like, when you start to reach out to other women and communities and support groups, all of a sudden you start networking and then you find those lifelines. And the next thing you know, they're like, hey, I've got an idea for you or where you can go. So you just need to like figure out what it is that you want. You have a therapist. So hopefully that person you can still continue to see, Mm -hmm. correct? Oh, absolutely. Okay. If you were to separate and file, what's the biggest fear? Like what is stopping you? right now from just moving forward. And I don't know what state you're in, but you got to look into sort of what the state does. Yeah, I have been looking into it. The biggest problem right now is just finding the strength to do it because of the fight or flight. You know, when I go to make that phone call to a lawyer to finally get this moving, I will have a panic attack and I don't know how to push through. That is something I am working on in therapy. Jess, why do you think you would have a panic attack? Because it happens every time. I don't know if it's a trauma bond type thing where, you know, I'm just so scared, but yeah. Are you scared of what will happen, what he'll say, what he'll do? Definitely. Like when he realizes how much he is going to actually owe me, he's going to go from the, oh, don't worry, I'll help you out. You know, I'll pay you child support and, you know, do this for you to the whole, you're worthless, you're screwing up our children, I'm not going to help you at all. Yeah, but you've got to get to a point where you become Wonder Woman, right? You've got like your gold bracelet on that you can like fight the bullets coming at (laughs) you. Yeah, you really do. You have to do some like imagery work here because the only way he can hurt you is if you believe what he says. Right. If we build your foundation, if you start working on your own self-worth, it doesn't matter what he throws at you. You can go, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and it just bounces. Because right now, it doesn't seem to me like you have a choice because you're not going to get better in that environment. Right. So mustering up the courage and just keep repeating to yourself, it's not true. None of what he is saying is true. And I know, I am the mother, I know what is best for my children. And this isn't a good environment for any of us to be in. Yeah, that's a big fear of mine. The longer they're exposed to this, the more they're going to have to deal with childhood trauma. And I was really hoping to break that cycle. Right. Sometimes when we don't or we're not able to do something for ourselves, when we think of like, oh, but I need to do it for my kids or my mother or someone else that I love. An external motivator. Yeah, exactly. It gives us that motivation to do it. So keep the kids like in the forefront of your mind. Like I'm doing this for myself, but you know, I'm really doing it for these kids so I can break this cycle. They need to see you happy. They need to see their mother calm. They need to see their mother loved and loving. That's how they're going to grow. So let that be the fire underneath you. You have resources. You just have to kind of start reaching out for them. But I think before you have that conversation, I think you need some education in this department. You know, reaching out to community, finding out, taking a meeting. It doesn't even necessarily have to be a lawyer right now. 
you guys could end up in mediation or something. But you need to know that when you make this move, that you're safe, that you have a safe place to go, right? That the bills are going to be paid, things like that. Right. You actually have legal protection. You just have to go look for it and ask about it. Because right now you're in this echo chamber of him lording over you and telling you what is what and what he's going to do. Well, guess what? The law is going to say what he needs to do. Right. He needs to protect you and he needs to protect those kids. My only suggestion is when you do speak to him that you have an appointment prior with your therapist and right after with your therapist so that you have a buffer so that you don't have to sit in the house and in the environment when you do bring something up. But get your ducks in a row. Get your knowledge. Get your plans. Start working on your self-awareness and your confidence with your therapist so that when you do make this leap, you just are armed with power and knowledge. And that's what's going to help you get through this. And find a lawyer when you do that hears you well, you know? Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Audition a few of them. That's great advice. Because I'm getting the sense that you're going to be okay financially if you leave. I think so. I know like because the finances have been hidden from me for a while. And actually when I did write the original email, I thought that I was going to be absolutely screwed. I have no real work history. It's not like I can go get down a mortgage because I don't have years behind me. But, you know, thanks to my therapist, she reminded me that because of stocks and 401k, I will have a cushion so that I can build up some more strength because of this adrenal stuff and losing so much weight and still be able to find a job. I just have to get to the healing part. There's so many avenues. There's so many things going on all at once. Is that you're just kind of in overwhelm right now, Jess. Yeah, I am. I wonder if there are any support groups that you can reach out to somewhere where you can get information and at least make you feel like you aren't alone. My therapist is sending me a list of some of the like abuse advocates in shelters. And, you know, that's something that she had suggested before. And I was always too ashamed isn't quite the right word, but it's so easy to trauma compare. You know, you have women who are dealing with daily physical violence, and then there's me who's got this emotional violence almost going on and having to push through. Pain is relative, though. You know, I just think that there are so many organizations where there are women who are entrepreneurial and they've done very well in their careers, and they're giving their time to help women coming out of either verbally or physically abusive relationships. You know, there's therapists, there's coaches, there's all kinds of people that are giving their time to support women with the movement out of a home and out of a relationship and getting them kind of restarted again. Like, it's a good time to get support because this is widely available right now. Yeah. I know you were in your young 20s when you guys met. Remember back to any dreams you had what you were interested in, what you would have pursued when you were looking for a job or you did have a job. What did you like about that job? What were you really good at? Sit down and remind yourself, like, what are my traits that I know are mine because I was born with them? And my parents and my siblings and my family environment didn't take those traits away from me because I still have those traits. And then once you have friends and once you have a job and all these other things like arming you, you'll be able to continue to move forward. I just keep thinking that you've got to get some ducks in the row now because nothing bad is going to happen to you. 
I can't help you on the panic attack. I'm not a clinical therapist, and that's something for your therapist. Yeah. But what I do know is when you state something, make sure that you are okay with the outcome, meaning you already know he's going to play mind games. You already know he's going to say something terrible. Yeah. So don't be in shock. That's that fight or flight. You're in shock. You've already established the patterns. You're a super smart woman. You know what's going to happen, and you just have to kind of push through it. But I don't want you to do it alone. He's done such a good job of isolating you from people. It was almost like he was the perfect person, not in a good way, to come into your life to say, oh, you don't have family? You don't have friends? (laughs) I'll take over. It was just the right mix for somebody like that to come in and control the entire situation. And this happens to a lot of young women, and they come out of this not knowing who they are. But who you are today, Jess is who you've always been. You've always been smart and you've always been a survivor and you're clearly really good at things. What we want to know is what can we give you that would give you a layer of courage to start slowly making your way out? Honestly, just the reminder that there are resources out there and that I deserve to take the resources because I know that I'm not the only woman that sitting there being like, well, is it really that bad? It feels that bad, but do I really deserve to take these resources? Like, am I taking them from somebody else? So having that reminder. I get it, but that's your self-worth issue because pain is relative. It doesn't matter if somebody's punching you in the face or they're breaking your heart with their words. Right. If you feel you deserve support, it is there for you. You don't have to trauma or pain compare with anyone because it's painful for you. Right. It's all abuse. Yeah. Controlling somebody is abuse. Separating that person from their community and their friends is a form of abuse. It doesn't have to be in the appearance of a bruise on your arm. Right. And you're young. You know, you get to have a whole new chapter, Jess. (sighs) That's true. (laughs) Yeah, like think about it that way. Think about the opportunities that are going to start coming to you when you build up your courage. Stop saying that like that's why this guy wins is because you don't think you deserve better. Right. And you do. I'm trying to change my mindset and the words that I'm using so that I can try to build up that bravery, you know, like when it comes to my chronic illness, instead of telling people I'm sick, I'm trying to be like, I'm healing, you know, even from the PTSD, like, it's not that my brain is damaged, I'm just healing. Well, your chronic illness will go away once you're in a safe, supportive environment. That's not a strike against you, Jess. It's not like, oh, well, I've got this, so therefore I've got to stay or there's something wrong with me, don't make what you're going through with your adrenal deficiency your cross to bear or the reason why you don't make a move. Right. It's the reason why you do need to make a move because it's impacting your health. Yeah, no, that's fair. (laughs) And, you know, none of what we're saying is easy. You know, when my mom, she had a young son and she was married to somebody who was a good man until he was drinking and he was abusive to her. And she didn't have a lot of family support. And she literally planned it in advance and left in the night, you know, because she knew that it was going to be difficult. Mm -hmm. And she did it for her son. And, you know, I never forget those stories. I've heard those stories since I was young from my mom, you know. So 
she's like, you know, we owe it to ourselves as women to really build up that strength. And I don't think she had a big core network of friends at that time or, you know, her parents weren't accessible and available to her. It was really hard and she did it anyway. And my mom is one of the strongest women I know. And you are strong, Jess. Thank you. I mean, Anna, aren't we sitting here listening to the most articulate, complete, honest, transparent woman? I know I couldn't have articulated this idea to anybody. And Jess, I think that finding your state's resources and finding three family law attorneys, talking to each of them, like, what resources are available to me now financially? This is a situation that I would like to get out of as quickly as possible. Even if you don't like these people or you don't hire them or whatever, the gathering of information will feel good. Yeah, there's so much resource available to women. I mean, I get calls all the time from nonprofits that are saying, hey, we're helping women who are in abusive situations or, you know, we're giving them community. Would you come in and support or give advice? And, you know, it's awesome. And most of it's free to you. And so I'm not sure you being in a room of other women in that situation is the answer. I'm a bigger believer in when you're in the hole, (laughs) reach up and out for somebody who is outside of it, who's standing in the light, who can, you know, lend a hand. Like, think in terms of, like, who is a woman, not necessarily in your direct world, but who's somebody that you really admire who is strong and doing what she wants to do in her life. And can she advise you? Can she help you? This is the time to start reading really empowering books. Gosh, I mean, even like Glennon Doyle's book, right? So filling your cup with really good, solid advice and stories of other people that have done it. and That are on the other side. That are on the other side. That's, I think, a better environment for you and really good legal and really good support from your therapist. And if there's any friends along the way that you have been separated from because of him and you look at that female or male friend and you go, wow, I really trust this person and I respect them. If there's anybody like that, I don't care if it's been a decade, reach out to them and say, I am sorry, we lost our friendship along the way. I've been in this relationship that has separated me from people. And because I was, you know, having children and trying to focus on my family, I allowed it to happen and I am sorry. And I really would like to reconnect with you. If there's anybody like that that you can think of, regardless of how long it's been, that's a positive step to take forward as well. Because we got to get this out of the dark and into the light. A lot of women are like afraid to say this to their friends or people out there because it's like got a shame and embarrassment. No, 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 no. The quicker you start telling this story, the more people are going to start surrounding you. And just like I said earlier, reminding yourself of what you like. Like if we were to say, what do you really like about you, Jess? What are you proud of? Could you answer us? (laughs) My ability to write. Are you a writer? Perfect. I'm actually writing my life story right now. How beautiful. Oh, thank you. (laughs) So what does it take to be a beautiful writer? Ambition. I don't know. (laughs) Well, it's like you got to be in touch with your feelings. You have to be expressive. You have to be a wonderful storyteller. You have to be honest, right? You have to be full of heart. You have to be relatable. Aren't those all your traits? Yeah, (laughs) they are. Okay, so next time he says, you're not worth anything, you're never going to be okay without me, you have to go, wait a minute, I am honest, I am expressive, I am creative, I am ambitious. What are you going to do without me? 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what, <laughs> right? Because he gets his fuel from looking and appearing like he is the end all be all, you know, his own insecurity. And when you first wrote to us, you did say that he had his own past traumas. Yeah, that's something that he is starting to perpetuate. Well, don't let him win. Yeah. Do not let him win. And if you have to listen to this over and over and over. (laughs) I will. You know, (laughs) then you do because it's all charades. Like this is fake. What he is saying is not real. Right. It's like the boogeyman in the closet. It does not exist. You will survive. You will be fine. It's amazing when you leave a bad relationship, when your shoulders come down. (laughs) Totally. You called us. You know what I mean? You wrote into us. That's huge. You're starting to take these steps where you vocalize your story. And the more that you do that, the more the roots hold. Yeah. And that's why I think, you know, write like a list of like four or five questions. Call some attorneys. You don't have to hire any of them. Right. Just gather information. Gather information. You'll start to understand what the process will look like. You'll start to understand what your rights are and what kind of financial support you'll be given. I would think that an attorney would also be able to advise you if there is a risk of any physical abuse or danger in your case. That element really, I mean, I'm definitely unqualified But that element does scare me a little bit in your situation, Jess. I don't know if that's a factor in your life. You know, it wasn't so much a concern until recently, you know, when the arguments are getting so much louder and more aggressive, you don't know what someone's capable of. And I would rather be safe than sorry. So that's a real fear. That's why if you are physically afraid, we have to be really careful what advice we give you. And so the best way for you to do this, that's why I think I've been leaning so much, and we are as well, is leaning on the knowledge and having a place to go and to be, because ultimately he might be the one that needs to leave. I don't know what the situation is there, but if you're actually afraid— This is not somebody who's saying, you know, I don't want to break up my family. You're saying, I'm scared. I don't know if he's balanced enough to let me go. Then your work over the next, like, 30 days or less is to just read, call, write, (laughs) do anything you can to connect and support. Yeah. That's your job right now. Your job isn't to entertain his thoughts or to fight with him or anything. Just understand what you're dealing with and stop being shocked every time he says and does anything. Remove yourself from the environment when that does happen. Take the kids for a walk or do whatever you can so that you don't have to engage and slowly start planning your out. But make sure you are armed with knowledge and community. Okay, definitely. I have been taking notes. (laughs) So think of your kids, think of you, think of this beautiful book you're going to write. Thank you, I will. And, you know, even as we've been here today, your face has even changed. And that tells me that if you've had already a transformation, it's not that we're doing anything so miraculous. It just tells me that we were right. You need community. 
Yeah, that makes total sense. (laughs) You just need cheerleaders. You need a posse. That's all that we've done so far. You didn't call us and say, you know, should I go? That's right. What do you think? She was like, she knows what she needs to be done. Basically, she was saying, can everybody just give me some (laughs) starch and some courage and some support? That's all you need. And that's something that a lot of people can give you, not just us. We're just part of your posse. I really appreciate it. (laughs) You know exactly what needs to be done. Thank you. (laughs) I appreciate you both so much. Oh, Jess, I love you and I cannot thank you enough. Oh, I love you. (laughs) I feel this and I'm just really honored that you talked with us. I'm really honored for the opportunity. Thank you. And all the advice, it was wonderful. I've got a whole list and I'm going to do this. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I love you and thank you. Love you. Thank you. Thanks, Jess. Be well. Thank you. Bye. Bye, Jess. April, you gave such beautiful, thoughtful advice. Well, that's scary because, you know, if you're talking to somebody who might or thinks they might be in any kind of physical danger, that needs to be handled differently. I know. I just know that there's so many women listening that are nodding their heads and going, that's me or that was me. I just hope a lot of people get the courage to not believe the bad, right? To believe the good. And and this is why I'm such a fan of doing your work ahead of time, long before you date, long before you meet somebody, because this can happen. Somebody will dictate your life and your values and your self-worth for you if you don't do it for yourself to begin with. That was so beautifully put. I love you and thank you so much. I love you. And until we do this again. Until we meet again. (laughs) Thanks, Anna. (laughs) Bye, April. Bye, Hannah.